0: Yes, the Women in Tech podcast Puma Collection is now live and available at shop.womenintechshow.com. That's shop.womenintechshow.com. Make sure to send us a confirmation of your order because we have something extra special, a little surprise for you. Reach out to us on any of the social handles at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and we will make sure to get you the extra special surprise. The hoodies and fleeces are so sick. You guys voted on them, decided which ones we should roll with, and I absolutely love it. Check out the photos that we have on the site, shop.womenintechshow.com. That's shop.womenintechshow.com.
1: So really think first, objective-wise, before you decide on a channel, because I feel like so much of that is just, I saw this person doing it, now I want to do it too. My
0: name is Espri Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Today's Women in Tech shout out goes out to Anna Anderson. Anna is so amazing. I met her in Europe a couple years ago, and I'm just so thankful that she is in my orbit, empowering women in tech around the world, specifically in Riga, Latvia with Tech Girls. She is the founder at Be With. She's just just defines empowerment. Be sure to say hello to Anna on LinkedIn. Go to A-N-N-A, and then her last name is A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N as in Nancy E. Anna, thank you so much for supporting and cheering on Women in Tech globally. Tell her you found her via the Women in Tech podcast. If you, too, want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at VIP.com. That's womenintechvip.com. That's getpodcastlisteners.com. I get a lot of people asking me if it's too late to start a podcast. So for my personal spot today, I'm going to share a little bit about the idea of it being too late to anything. I think when we're creating, the important ethos of our creation should be our why behind creating it. I mean, Simon Sinek is famous for this, right? Start with why. And so if we're going into something thinking, is it too late? I feel like we're coming from the wrong place. And I'm at the beach, you guys. I'm sure you hear the dog barking, but... Life, right? I'm just enjoying the outdoors Why I'm recording these for you. Yeah, so to start with why, think about the ethos, why you're creating what you're creating rather than worrying whether an ecosystem, like a, a platform is too saturated, too many people, because no one can deliver the way that you can deliver. And the special message that you have, the special reason why you're creating the thing that you're creating, that's the magic. So it doesn't even matter how saturated something is. What matters is creating it from the right place and then finding all the open doors to yes in order to create the opportunity that's meant for your path. We all walk our paths differently. We can't copy someone else's path to get to the same place. We have our own journey and that's exciting. That means anything is possible. So definitely, is it too late to start a podcast? No, and on a note, on that note, It's also not too late to start a podcast because even though there's a high amount of podcasters starting new shows, we hear that in the news all the time, A lot of them are experiencing what we call pod fade. They're giving up on podcasting because they get discouraged because they didn't have a strong connection to their why. So you may see a ton of new shows being created, but there's also a graveyard of of shows that aren't being maintained. So just don't worry about what everybody else is doing and just focus on what you wanna be putting out into the world. All right, enjoy the next episode. celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited to have our next guest from Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Kim.
1: Hi there. How you doing?
0: Good. So excited to have you.
1: Why don't you jump into it and go ahead, let everybody know a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So my name is Kim Kohatsu. I am the founder of Charles Ave Marketing. It's a company that began back in 2013. And what I basically do is I help small businesses and startups with their marketing efforts. I like to think of Charles Ave as the Madison Ave of small businesses. Love it. I started it in 2013. So I've been um, doing this for over seven years now. But I've been in advertising and marketing for much longer than that. So I'm going on 20 years.
0: And when did you start your interest in technology? Tell us a little bit about your journey in the
1: tech space. Absolutely. So it was kind of an accident, to be honest. I started my journey career-wise in traditional ad agencies. So I was working on TV campaigns, print campaigns, radio, you know, kind of all the traditional media. And after about, oh gosh, I don't know, seven or eight years doing that, I realized that I really didn't like ad agency life. And I wasn't sure what to do. So I kind of had, I guess what they call a quarter life crisis. And I was like, should I go to law school? Should I work at a nonprofit? Should I do this? Should I do that? And I kind of fell into the tech scene um, in LA. And I took a job where I was kind of learning digital marketing for a telecom startup. And that was how I, I got started in that. I started to learn more about seo and ppc and content marketing and all of those things that are really important and it just happened to be at a tech company you've jumped to a few tech companies at this point right my first job in tech was at a telecom startup called toll-free forwarding which is over by lax then i was laid off after some cutbacks and so i worked uh, for a time at call fire uh, which is in santa Monica. And then it was shortly after that that I started Charles F. Marketing. And then through Charles F. Marketing, I've been working with a couple of other tech startups. So one is called Menuism, and that's also out here in L.A. It's almost like a Yelp competitor. I spend uh, quite a bit of time on PickFu, which is another tech company that is like an online survey solution.
0: And what have you found about the culture of technology? Because your main passion and interest is marketing and advertising. So in the tech space, like what have you found about the culture that's really attracted you
1: to want to be a part of that world? I think what it is more than anything is the pace. I think what happens in advertising is that you do a lot of work for work's sake. So you come up with a lot of concepts that you present to your creative director, and then your creative director pairs it down, and you work on them again, and then you present to the client, and then the client you know, comes back. And there's just a lot of work that doesn't go anywhere. And what I like about tech is that it's so much more open to experimentation. You can move much more quickly, and you know, if it doesn't work, you can try again. And I think that that has always been really attractive in that, you know, it just doesn't feel like you're just spinning your wheels for no reason.
0: Especially when you had your first opportunity with a tech company, did you find it daunting? I don't know, maybe like a kid at a new school, like first day of school, or did you feel like you fit right in?
1: Well, it really depended. There was a lot of learning. I mean, I can still remember when I had to have somebody explain to me what an API was, or what GUI stood for, or, you know, there was a lot of learning in that regard, where it was just like, what am I doing? At the same time, it's funny, because when you work in advertising, you're almost allergic to data, like you don't want to be in focus groups, because focus groups are going to just, you know, crap on your ad concepts and, and things like that, right? So it was interesting kind of making the flip where it was like, oh, like, no, analytics are your friend, you know, like, it can tell you a lot of, helpful information about how to improve what you're doing. So that was a real shift for me. But what I liked, I think, is that there's a lot of learning to be done and, you know, a lot of experimentation to be had. And walk me
0: through in creating your own company, what went into that from a tech standpoint? What aspects of having a marketing and advertising agency make you a woman in tech?
1: Wow. Well, it's funny because, you know, I consider myself a woman in marketing <laughs> who knows a lot about tech. <laughs> so it's it's funny because, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not on the coding end or anything like that. And I'm completely out of my depth in some of those conversations. But what I can do, I think, is bring tech down to a level that a normal everyday human being can understand what's happening. And I think that that translation is very important. I mean, I feel like a lot of tech companies can get very techy, And what I do is I basically try to translate that into English.
0: I think it's a really important point and something that comes up a lot, like I'm not an engineer, therefore I'm not in tech. However, like at any startup, you could build all the tech if you want, but if you don't connect with the audience and with your future customers and with your current customers, there's no company to be had. And so I think being in tech isn't just being a coder. Being in tech is being part of the tech ecosystem that it takes to create the code and make
1: sure the masses know it exists. Does that
0: make sense? How? I yeah,
1: I think you're right. One of the startups that I worked with, when I went into interview for the job, I had of course gone to the website. And I remember saying, I am literally a member of Mensa, and I could not understand this. <laughs> and you know, it was just like, I don't know if you're too smart for me or if I'm too dumb for you or, you know, what it is, but there was definitely like, I don't understand what's happening here or what you're selling. And that's really important because at the end of the day, you know, you've got to connect, you've got to get the message out in a way that's going to be understood. Totally. Walk us through your company
0: now. What kind of clients do you work with? What goes into the day-to-day of running a marketing and advertising agency?
1: I think, you know, my company is a little bit different because I feel like what a lot of agencies do is they are basically lead gen machines that then just farm out their work to a lot of contractors. And what I have really done is even though, yes, I use some contract help and, uh, you know, anytime I need a certain skill set I hire, I really try to become an extension of the companies that I work with. So. Like I mentioned, I've been in business since 2013, and I have clients that go back all the way to 2013. And I think that that's really unheard of in marketing. So I try not to think of myself so much as an agency. I really try to embed myself in those companies, get to learn their businesses, get to learn their customers. And what that means is I have a shorter client roster But it's a meaningful client roster because I have very in-depth relationships with the clients that I work with. So you mentioned, you know, who am I working with? I, you know, I mentioned PickFu, which is one of uh, my tech clients. So that is, you know, like a really quick way to run, you know, online focus groups. And then I have a client that I work with that's based out of Indianapolis called American College of Education, and they are an online university, uh, mostly for master's and doctoral degrees. And I've been working with them for over five years. And then I have a, a finance client called Liberty SBF. I do still do freelance work with some ad agencies. I do work with Wienerschnitzel. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. So it's tech. It's not tech. It's a pretty interesting mix. Tell
0: us a little bit more about PicFu, if you don't mind. What does it look like to, for your agency, I wanted to use the word an outsourced
1: CMO. Does that land with you? Absolutely. It's funny because my title at PicFu actually is CMO. And um, oh, my God.
0: I didn't want to make an assumption. I was like, I'm about to say this, but what if it's okay, this is perfect. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah that's exactly it. And, you know, I was telling somebody just this afternoon, you know, I feel like if, My relationship with PickFu had just started today. I mean, they would have wanted somebody full time. But I was in the door early enough and I grew kind of with the company that it's unconventional to have kind of, like you say, an outsourced CMO. But, you know, that's where we are and that's what works for us. So it's been really cool.
0: And what goes into your day to
1: day for PickFu? So the company is growing. And so when we started, I was doing a lot of the content creation. So I was writing the blogs and I was doing you know, the the slide decks and all that kind of stuff. And now that we are growing as a company, I'm doing much more management and strategy. So it's all about okay, how do we make our channels more effective? What can we do to hone this messaging? How can we make you know the communications clearer? And so I feel like you know I am starting to bring new team members in and really train them on where we're trying to go as well as kind of just taking a look at the overall Picture holistically. And how do you manage your time? Good question. Well, <laughs> I live and die by my calendar. If it's not on the calendar, it's not going to happen. And so that has been pretty interesting. It's really important to me to try to work at least semi normal hours. So, you know, my days are for work. My evenings and weekends are my own. And so I try to have a real line of separation there. Wow. Evenings too. Kim? <laughs> I don't know how
0: you do that. I've just made it to like weekends. I'm starting to like process weekend, but like evenings, not there yet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and and, and it changes because I've always also been an insomniac. And so sometimes I'm just more productive at night. And I give myself the space where, you know, if it's one o'clock in the afternoon and nothing is happening and I need to take a nap, like I try to just give myself the space to do that, too. But, you know, I, I do as much as possible try to have a work day and a not part of my work day. So that's really important to me.
0: The beauty about having your own business, as Kim can attest to, when we first started this podcast interview, my head was still in a towel from the shower. Yes, I think we work probably more hours, but we have flexibility in when those hours <laughs> take place. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> and what is one of the biggest obstacles you'd say that you've successfully overcome in being a professional?
1: Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I. I guess it took me going out into the working world to realize I'm not a good employee. I'm very good at my job. I'm good at my skill set, but I'm not good at working for other people. I'm not good at having a boss. I can have a client that that has been successful, but I'm not good at having a boss. And you know, going to into an office five days a week, working for somebody else, not really being able to like financially benefit from any of their successes, I think was also a big part of it. And so really just, I think that that has been successful for me is, you know, being able to be in control and really kind of, you know, charge what I want, work with who I want and work the kind of day that I want to work.
0: And recently, you're now running the marketing and advertising kind of events category, contributing to the Forbes Business Council. I thought it was interesting. Definitely tell us more about that. But also what it really I'm curious about is, again, going back to talking about time, how do you make a decision about who you'll partner with? I mean, it is a lot to balance all of your clients So to put even more in onto your plate, how do you make those decisions? How do you decide what gets the green light and what gets turned down?
1: Yeah, it definitely a cost benefit pro con kind of discussion that I have internally, or sometimes out loud, I will actually talk to myself a lot. And I think, you know, for me, it's what am I going to get out of it? What am I going to have to put into it, you know, deciding whether or not it's worth it. I feel like when it comes to clients, sometimes I can tell off the bat that they will be nightmare clients and that's not worth my time. And sometimes I can tell like, wow, maybe I'm time crunched, but this would be a really meaty client to work on that I would love to help out, you know? And so I think that it's always kind of that kind of is it worth it to me, not just in times of time and money, but like, what am I going to get out of it professionally? Do I have something to offer? Can I offer value? And so I think that, that those are all considerations. Now, when it came to the Forbes thing, you know, here was a membership that I was paying for, and I wasn't really getting a lot out of it. And I thought, you know, if I take on an active role where I can actually have some say in the kind of events that that happen and what have you then I'll actually get something out of this thing that I'm already a part of but I'm not doing anything with And even in the short time since I since I took that chair, you know I've connected with people that I wouldn't have connected with otherwise because now I had a reason to do it right I, I had a reason to say hey like I'm the marketing PR chair just wanted to introduce myself whereas like I feel like it, it had just been like hi I'm a marketing person like what's up it was you know, it was a little bit more awkward and it it wasn't something that I would have done, you know, because that's just not my style. And so I think that, you know, for me, I was like, okay, like, here's something that I can get more out of that I'm already a part of and I'm not taking advantage of.
0: Totally. It's interesting. I have a partnership with uh, TikTok, not to do with the podcast necessarily, just to do with TikTok. And sometimes creating a TikTok will take me upward an hour. And I feel like, oh my gosh, this is taking so much of my time, like away from the podcast, away from everything. But then... I'm part of these groups, like these like kind of exclusive, well, not kind of, they are exclusive groups just for the partnership that I'm in, where I get to meet all these other people that have grown their audiences into the gazillions and are so interesting, like a network that I would have never, ever connected to. And it's not a network that I could just tap into somewhere else. And there is a lot of value. I feel in like, not networking events, but being a part of something where you have this unique, like-minded kind of connection. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but it sounds like you have that with Forbes and I'm getting that out of this like TikTok partnership that I have.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I feel like with Forbes before it was very much like, I'm just one out of, I don't even know how big the membership is. You know, but I was just another name on a list. And now, you know, being a leadership, you know, in a leadership role there, I can actually reach out to people on that list and, you know, not feel weird about it.
0: Yeah. Like... We have with this TikTok thing, a private WhatsApp channel where like I, for example, there's this guy, uh, user handle, something like cool chemistry. I don't remember the whole handle, but anyway, he went from zero, uh, zero followers. And now he's like, just had a viral video of 20 million and his subscriber count is going insane. And like, he's just in my network because I happen to be in this partnership with TikTok. But like, that guy is now becoming inaccessible and I have access to someone inaccessible. And a lot of people like that. It's not just that guy. So I just find that interesting, the difference between like attending a network event or in the age of COVID, attending a Zoom (laughs) webinar. (laughs) (laughs) So it's almost like not networking, it's accessing networks is is the way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would be one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever gotten?
1: Ooh, just in general or like... Not for your career. Let's keep it career. Okay. <laughs> I think one of the things that we can fall into is forgetting who we're talking to. And I think that so much of marketing and advertising is talking to ourselves you know, either as the ad agency or as the brand or, you know, whoever it is. And I feel like you always want to think about who your customer is and where they're coming from. So not just from a media perspective, not just, you know, what websites are they on or what shows are they watching, but what do they need to hear? And, you know, trying to make that interesting for them versus interesting for you. So talking to your audience rather than talking at them. Love it.
0: And on that note, Before we start to wrap up, top three tips, like not basic tips, like really good, extra delicious stuff for people needing to market right now. They could be anything, like anything that you could think it could be like blog related, SEO related, just like top three things that it's not something you'd catch on your everyday blog.
1: Okay. So the first thing I would say is really think about your goals. And realize that a channel is not a goal. So a lot of people will come to me and they'll say, we need to do a Facebook ads campaign or we need to write this blog or we need to do whatever. And it, you know, take a step back. Why do you have to do it in that format? What are you trying to accomplish? So really think first objective-wise before you decide on a channel. Because I feel like so much of that is just, I saw this person doing it, now I wanna do it too. And so being really thoughtful about where you put your messaging and why you are putting that messaging out there, I think is very important. And that's universal, no matter what you're working on, right? Like that applies to everything. <laughs> also, I think, you know, <laughs> I think it it helps to know where good help can be found. I mean, it's such an old adage that you can't find good help these days, but The fact of the matter is like so many of us are working in companies that, you know, we need contract help, we need writers, or we need social media people, or we need whatever. And it's really tough to separate the wheat from the chaff. And I feel like a lot of clients who come to me come to me because they've had really bad experiences. And so I think the way that you get around that is by spending the time upfront, finding really good help you know, put your candidates through a test assignment, have some kind of probation period or have some kind of test that you've worked out so that you can develop longstanding relationships with your contract help just so that, you know, you know them, they know you, you're not just some rando coming in off the street or, or what have you. I think that's really important because otherwise you'll end up spending more time just trying to manage that. Whereas like, I think it's worth it to put in the work you know, qualifying these people. Totally.
0: And before you share a number three, to piggyback off of that, also don't
1: hire out of fear. Oh, that's a good one. That is a really good one. Like,
0: oh my God, I need help with Instagram. I need to hire someone fast. No.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think I would say before you hire anyone, figure out what your system is. And like Kim was saying, what your objective is. So when you do start looking for people, you weed out people who have a big talk, but little game, little action.
1: Agreed. Yeah, that's a very good one. Yeah. I don't know. I guess like this applies to everything too. But I think just really be kind. I have had so many bad bosses or bad clients or, you know, and I think that, you know, as soon as you get to a point where you're managing other people, you want those people to want to go to bat for you. And so if you are kind and generous with whatever it is that you are working on or, you know, your pay, your time, your however you, you do it, those people will work harder for you if you are nice to them. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Which sounds obvious, but I think that, you know, I've had enough toxic managers in my past that have really, you know, been harmful in my career trajectory and I think the more that you can, I don't know, just take people along your journey with you and be kind and generous about that, the the better off everybody will be. I love that.
0: I love that. Yes. 100%. A couple last questions and one I'd like to ask everybody is what is your favorite software? Your favorite marketing software maybe? Oh, hmm. Or app? What's your favorite app or site or software?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I try not to fall in love too much just because I think that sometimes that can be a smoke screen for work that you're doing. You know, if if a software generates a really great looking report or you know, something along those lines. I mean, I think sometimes we can just overwhelm people with data. And if we don't do anything with the data, then it's not useful. And so I will say, though, from uh, how I put together my reports, I would be lost without this program called Swydo. I think it's based out of the UK or, or something, but it's S-W-Y-D-O and when it began it was really I just, just wrote it for down P- myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah when it when it began it was really just for ppc reports but it has since grown to where you can add your facebook ads and your other sort of like organic social it's kind of an all in one where you can put several different channels into a single report and i've been using it for for quite some time and, and that's probably my favorite
0: Oh, I am checking it out 100%. And I like to ask everybody, have you ever been on a podcast before?
1: I have. I have never been on one just for Charles Ave Marketing. I've been on many for Pickfoo, And so this is exciting because it's really my first coming out just for my own company.
0: I've never done this, but let's do it. Why don't you give us the pitch for everybody listening that may be needing to hire a marketing advertising agency? Like, give us the pitch.
1: Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, I consider Charles Ave Marketing kind of Madison Ave for small businesses. And what I think that I can bring is a combination of kind of traditional overall branding, really thinking about that message and that lasting impression, but also all of those channels, right, that we talked about and all of that, you know, analytical knowledge, kind of marrying the two. I think. Very few people have both sides of that coin or that can marry both sides of that coin. And so that's what I like to, to tell prospective clients. And, you know, also the other thing is that I really value long-term relationships. And so I'm not looking for a churn and burn kind of thing because, you know, that's not helpful to anybody. And so I really think that I approach all of my clients as true partnerships and really trying to get to know their business and their problems and their audiences and their solutions. So. And how can people connect with you? The best way is probably just hit me up on email. It's Kim at charlesavmarketing.com. The only social network I really use actively is Twitter. So you can always tweet at me. I'm at Kim Kohatsu, K-I-M-K-O-H-A-T-S-U. So yeah, either one of those ways is a great way to get in touch. One more cue, your favorite book. Oh, that's so hard. I read a lot. I've learned in my adulthood, I'm actually better uh, with audiobooks than I am with print books. And so just nerding out, like this is just something I do completely separately. I love American history and I have set on a multi-year goal of reading a biography of every US president I'm over halfway through, and I will say that one of my favorite books was the book I read about FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt, and it was called No Ordinary Time, and it's basically their time in the White House during World War II.
0: That is a really unique answer, and I haven't heard it, and I love it. It's been so much fun having you on the show. I'm so grateful that we got to connect. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womentechvip.com. That's womeninTechVIP.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on all social. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye.
1: Bye. This is Kim Kohatsu, founder of Charles Ave Marketing. We're Madison Ave for small businesses based out of Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Women in Tech.
0: The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora,
1: With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings.
0: Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll.
1: Community spotlight coordination by Sarah Tran.
0: And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production.